Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. Yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny, and the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening. We are back with another episode of Half Street High Heat coming off of a series win against the Cardinals. We've got lots to talk about tonight. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you listening, as always. Um, I am Amanda, and I am joined by my mordacious co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. Uh, please make sure you find us on Twitter. The show is there at Half Street High Heat, and you can find us at our website at halfstreetheat.com. Uh, lots of good breakdowns on the pitching. Um, Series previews, series wrap-ups, great stuff at the website. Make sure you are not missing out on that. And check out the YouTube channel at The Rundown with Half Street High Heat. How you doing, guys? What it is. I just realized I had myself muted. Ah, fantastic. So I was trying Off to, to a roaring start. Yeah. Um, I bought pens on Amazon because, as I'm sure most people do, I've just collected pens over the years, and that's my supply of pens. But I decided to do something nice for myself and buy myself some nice pens because everyone has had or has that one pen where you're like, damn, this is a nice pen. I want to keep this, and then you end up losing it. So I was like, all right, let me get a good pack of pens, like 12 of the same pens. So that way, I, I, and like, even if I lose it, I don't really lose it. And I love writing with Sharpies. So I got the Sharpie S-Gel pen thinking, oh, I love writing with Sharpies. Sharpie now makes a pen. This is a slam dunk home run, whatever. They got here today. Not that impressed. It's a little scratchy, and I like the, the smooth ink that kind of like 
doesn't bleed too much, but bleeds a little bit into the paper. And, you know, it really soaks up and, and it feels like what you're writing is important. Like you're writing with like a, a quill and ink or something. Mm. Um, but this one's like pretty scratchy and I'm a little underwhelmed and disappointed. So uh, my, my pen search continues, but now I just dropped like $11 on a 12 pack of pens. So it's like, I guess I'll use them. Why not? Yeah, that's a bummer. I'm not a pen person at all. My husband kind of collects pens and then gets you, mad you, at anyone else who touches them. You write in pencil, don't you? I do write in pencil. You in are fact, so infuriating. <laughs> not only do I write in pencil, but I hate mechanical pencils. I like old school pencils and I have I have a what kind? A little pencil sharpener. Yeah, just a straight up number two pencil. What brand? I don't have a particular brand. I like the ones they're they're not black even ty- and they not even Ticonderoga? I do have Ticonderoga. They're good. I don't like feel married to any particular brand though, but there's one I always get at Staples. Maybe it's Ticonderoga. It's they're black and they come pre-sharpened in the package. No. Yeah. Ticonderogas are, are, are the elite of elite. So if you're going to write with pencil, at least do it the right way. But clearly we can't get you to do anything the right way. Yes. Well, I, I don't know why pencil versus pen is infuriating, but I'm not a pen person. And of course, you're passing that down to your children because they're homeschooled. It's just a shame. Every just good, a shame? every can, good student has had a, a Ticonderoga in school. Yeah, well, I like to write in pencil because I like to be able to erase and because you make so many mistakes. Makes wow, sense. somebody's a little bit just a, a little bit assertive this evening. <laughs> a little mordacious, I might say. Actually. I ordered the wrong pens. Yes. So mordacious, I didn't give the definition, is um, biting, sharp, or caustic in manner or style, which I think is quite appropriate since you've been quite mordacious so far in this episode. Sure. Sure. Let's go with it. We'll roll with it. (laughs) All right. Let's get into our quick pitch. Unless, Brian, you have anything to share with us about your favorite writing implement? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Pedal. I don't it's 2021. I don't write. I use a computer for <laughs> That's literally everything. Such a Ryan answer. <laughs> it is indeed. Okay. I can't remember the last time I wrote anything. All righty. Quick pitch is who is the best pitcher of this generation, which we said we are defining as since 2010. Who wants to start? I'll, I'll let you guys go because I, I have a hot take. All right, Nick, you said you had your answer very, um, very clearly when we put this down on the show doc. So share with us what your opinion is on this one. Before I start, are you going Max Scherzer? You don't get to know what I go until I go. I, real, I really want to know if you're going Max Scherzer. All right. Well, you'll know when it's my turn, won't you? Well, we, we didn't. All right. Whatever. I'm going Justin Verlander. because. Oh, one, the dude has an MVP. I know Clayton Kershaw does too, but until I guess this past year in his final year in Detroit, Verlander has had the, I guess, longevity too. And obviously Kershaw's still pitching, but Verlander really hasn't missed a ton of time. Um, you know, I alluded to his time in Detroit. 2015 was his injury year, and he pitched, still pitched 133 innings, which is respectable, but every other year. So if we're starting from 2010, we won't count his amazing 2009 season. 2010, 224 innings. 2011, 251 innings. 2012, 238, and then 
218, 206. After the injury, 227, 206, 170. Oh, I guess I'm looking at baseball reference. He got traded in 2017. He did 206, quick math, 214, 223. Over 200 innings every single year. Dominant. Obviously, a couple Cy Youngs, like I said, an MVP, World Series ring. You know, debate the, you know, 2017 World Series all you want. It's fine. It's a legitimate argument. But as it stands now, he is a World Series champion in a legitimate, you know, not shortened World Series like like Clayton Kershaw has. I, I think he's the best pitcher this generation. We'll see if he can continue. He's already 37. He's coming off Tommy John. So we'll see how his career ends up. But if, you know, this is it for him, he, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And that's kind of it, the benchmark for pitcher of your generation. If you're the pitcher of your generation, you're probably most likely a lock for first ballot Hall of Famer. And I, I think Justin Verlander is squarely in that. Oh, it's a very compelling argument. I definitely like that pick. I'm not going Max Scherzer. I am going to go DeGrom. I think he's currently the best pitcher, and I think, he got the, I, for me, he's the best one since 2010. I just can't believe what we're seeing him do. I'm just sitting here looking at his, his stats. I mean, obviously, ERA isn't everything for a pitcher, but he's only had two years of his career where he's had over a three ERA, and it was a 3.04 in 2016 and a 3.53 in 2017. He's currently got a 0.45 ERA, which is just incredibly absurd. I mean, you've got back-to-back Cy Youngs, All-Star, Rookie of the Year. He's just won so many awards, and he doesn't seem to be, not only is he not slowing down, he seems to be getting better every year. His velocity is going up instead of down as he ages. It's just insane what he's doing. So I, I can't see, I mean, obviously Max is I love Max. He's my favorite national and he's amazing, but I don't think you could put him. I don't think you could put him over to Grom. Um, so I respect, I respect both y'all's picks. Um, DeGrom is probably second. You can also make the argument that DeGrom's entire career has matched what Max Scherzer has done as a national DeGrom will be better than Max Scherzer. Um, If you disagree, please look at the entire career numbers. But the answer is Clayton Kershaw. It's by far and away Clayton Kershaw. He had five straight years with the ERA under 2-3. From 2011 to 2017, he went 118-41 with a 2-10 ERA. That's absolutely stupid. 2018 to 21, his ERAs were 2-7-3-2-1-6, and right now he has a 2-1-9. He's only 33. He's a year older than Jacob deGrom. Um, And then you also look on top of that. He's MVP, three-time Cy Young. He's done a triple crown. He has a gold glove. He has a five-time ERA title, and he's eight-time All-Star. That's superlatives that some of the best pitchers of all time have. He is by far and away the best pitcher of this generation, and everyone keeps talking about how deGrom, I'm sorry, that Kershaw is not the same pitcher he used to be. He's not. He's not the same pitcher he used to be, but that means he now has a high two, low three ERA instead of routinely a low two, high one ERA. It's just, it's not close. Like his peak is one of the best all-time peaks we have ever seen. And it's a peak that right now 
Jacob deGrom is currently matching. And it's a peak that we haven't really seen before. Pedro Martinez has done a peak like that. He did that in the middle of the steroid era. It's a very, very rare thing. And the answer is Clayton Kershaw. He's by far and the way the best pitcher of this generation. Want to hear a funny stat? Yep. And this is sure do. Comparing your two. So you said from 2011 to 2016, if I heard correctly, uh, Kershaw had, what, 116, 118 wins, something like that. Mm-hmm. So what's that, six seasons? Yeah, six seasons. In DeGrom's eight seasons, he has 71 wins. Well, he plays for the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I know, but it, it's just funny. Yeah. That, DeGrom clearly for the Dodgers of the Mets in a nutshell right there, isn't it? <laughs> Ryan tweeted out a stat earlier that the Grom's only given up like six starts of more than three runs mm-hmm. uh, and since 2018. And he has what? 26 wins in those. I mean, 2020 was shortened, but still like the dude should be a lot better. It's a in perfect. The it's, yeah, it's a perfect example of why wins are such a stupid stat for pitchers. Why anybody yep. who looks at win loss record is beyond me. It means absolutely nothing. Yep. Yes. Well, I think yeah, they're all amazing, and it's funny listening to all those numbers on Clayton Kershaw. You're absolutely right, Ryan. That he's it, it's just been an absolutely outstanding, unbelievable career, and I wonder how much his failures in the postseason color people's perceptions of him kershaw was my number two and you can't argue if we're going peak versus peak no one touches clayton kershaw i only chose verlander because the like i said the longevity and the uh what's the word i guess just a larger sample size but i'm not trying to take anything away from clayton kershaw he's a world series champion he's an mvp he's a multiple cy young winner he's eight-time all-star like it he, he that's not a wrong answer and it's probably the right answer like ryan said well i like it you certainly can't go wrong with any of those guys all right uh let's get into our midweek in review ryan yes um i had the wrong note up but it is now time for our midweek in review the mlbpa and the players union had their first of what is going to be many many phone calls as they had a video conference discussing what both sides are looking for in their upcoming CBA uh, conversations that expires at the end of the season. They both just kind of laid the groundwork of what they're looking for. It was nothing noteworthy, but the most important takeaway is it it was a non-heated phone call. As you know, the relationship between both sides has completely deteriorated and many people are expecting this to get very, very ugly. It will be dead in the baseball before the season and they also had 10 teams put their balls in humidifiers before each and every game in hopes to lower the home run rate and create more types of offense with balls in play. Well, the home runs are below the 2019 historic rate, but they're above 2016 to 2018. We haven't really seen that much of a dip. Um, we're less than 1% of a difference between home runs in 2019 and now, so the balls have not really done much. Checking in on some teams, the A's have won 11 straight after disaster start, while the Mariners are 11-7 after disastrous offseason, and the Astros are 1-9 in the last 10, and they're currently in last place in the AL West. The Brewers have a combined starting pitching ERA around two with Brandon Woodruff leading the way with a absolutely stupid start. The Dodgers currently have the longest streak of consecutive games without 
being shut out. That goes back to 2019 when Jacob deGrom shut them down, as Jacob deGrom does. The Padres are the only team in the state of California that is currently not above 500. Embrace the bait. Is state of California the best place for baseball? We move on to the NL East. In last place are the 7-9 Nats. Who? More on them in a second. And their nice series win over the Cardinals. In fourth place are the soon-to-be 8-10 Braves, who took one game against the bad Yankees. And third are the 8-9 and nine Marlins, who have split the first two against the horrible Orioles. And second place are the 9-9 nine and nine Phillies, who walked off the Giants today in the middle of a hurricane. Sky was looking all types of crazy with the win that we also got. Up next, they play the Rockies. In first place are the soon-to-be 7-6 and six Mets, who are now losing to the Cubs. They come home and have three games against the Nats this weekend as they push back Jacob DeGrom to align up their rotation for have their big three in all three games. This has been your week review brought to you in part by your local neighborhood chilies. Dine in, carry out, and get yourself a famous, unreal, frozen strawberry margarita. And make sure you support your local neighborhood, Terry, in the process. Yeah, uh, it was kind of a crazy week in the NL East. It's funny to see the Mets on top. They've played so many fewer games than everyone else. Um, are they still three games less, I think? Than no, they're like they're like five games. <laughs> yeah, they're they're like five games back from everyone else. They've had a lot of games canceled, which kind of sucks. But yeah, also the NL East sucks. This is crazy. Not That's good. what I was just about to say. The Yankees apparently aren't good. The Astros apparently aren't good. The Padres are not whatever, not doing as well as everybody thought. It's just NL Central. We all talked about how the you know, the Cardinals were going to own everyone, and it's not happening that way at all. The Cubs are dreadful. It's just uh, not playing out the way we all predicted it at the beginning of the season already. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's basically it's the Dodgers and everyone else like. There's a lot of teams who are underperforming right now. The entire NLEs is as a whole. We'll get that in a second, but that's why that's why I play 162. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's been a couple of weeks, and all these teams are struggling, and they'll probably still end up winning 90 games. So, yeah, yeah I'm I'm pleased to see that the rest of the NLEs has joined us in underperforming for a while because that makes it so we're not falling into a super deep hole we can't help hope to climb out of. <laughs> I think it's. Um somewhat like explained by you know obviously the Nats are supposed to open against the Mets the Nats and Mets miss games due to COVID uh, you know when the Nats had their outbreak pretty sure the Braves had had games missed or postponed and the Phillies as well because the Phillies had the Mets game rained out so the Mets just you know everywhere they go they've had rained out games but most if not all the teams in the NL East have had you know, games canceled, postponed, whatever. So maybe it's just the inconsistency of the schedule so far hasn't lended itself to catching a rhythm. But yeah, the, the NL East is very, very wide open. I mean, most divisions are two weeks into the season, but it's it's anyone's game. So if the Nats can stay afloat throughout this time until they I mean, get some people back. Look at everything they've been through and um they're only, what, two and a half back, and they're in last place? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty tight to say they're in last place, but only two and a half back. That's, you know, there's not a lot of, and obviously not a lot of games have been played yet, but it could be a lot, lot worse. So I'm actually not too upset with where the Nats are right now, given the circumstances they've faced since the season started with the COVID stuff and now the injuries they're dealing with. 
definitely could be worse. Yeah, I wouldn't like to see it, though. It's one thing I would not <laughs> like to see. Things you would not like to see. Uh, so speaking of things that are worse, uh, let's do our good, bad, and the ugly segment for the Cardinal series. Uh, let's start with the good. Some starting pitching Im- uh, improvement. We had seen some very ugly starts um, from the rotation um, in the previous two series. Um, we got terrific starts from both Max and Patrick Corbin. Twelve innings pitched between them in the last uh, couple of days and zero earned runs. Yeah, we're yeah. just going to throw the Joe Ross start out because that will never happen again from the Nationals' ace. It's like he got Corbin's start and Corbin got his. I don't know what happened. You know, just – have you seen – um what's that movie? Oh, my God, what's that movie? It's a Disney movie that was a remake. Um, shoot, it's with Freaky Lion Friday? King. Freaky Friday. There we go. Yes. I thought <laughs> I nailed it with Lion King. No, it's it's Freaky Friday. They just switch bodies. Um, we we talked about Corbin. We talked about Corbin with Matt as well. I tweeted out the stats. It's with his slider. And I also questioned maybe, is it the pitching coach involved? It was a little bit of both. He didn't really have his slider, but um, I think his last name's Hickey wanted them to use the changeup more. Wherever he goes, their starting rotations use their changeup a hell of a lot more. And that just didn't work with Patrick Corbin. It was messing up his slider. I said, you know what? Just go back to your slider. So he threw his slider. He had his most movement and didn't really throw a changeup. He had his most movement on the slider. He did. Had his most swing and misses on outside the zone. He did all year. And his rotations were up and the movement was up. He had his best start of the year. Fantastic to see. Please just stick with it. Just let the man do his slider. Stop tinkering <laughs> with Patrick Corbin, please, and just let the man do his thing. Just let him do his fastball on his slider. And Max, Max is putting the whole entire rotation on his back. He's given up one run in his last 23 innings pitch. God, I love that man. It's been, it's honestly, like, it's it's been a savior. And, like, the way he started today, you're like, great, this guy's going to go, like, four innings. He has 50 pitches. He settled down, and he pitched really well in a time where this team, and honestly, this bullpen, needs someone to pitch well to help eat some innings. And, yeah, these guys both delivered this week big time. Yeah, like we talked about with Matt, which we'll hear in a little bit, it was definitely needed uh, in, um, you know, from from Corbin uh, with Strauss going down, Lester not back yet, and Ross struggling in his most recent start. So very much needed. And, um, you know, as far as the, the whole Corbin – Game plan with, uh, I think his name's Jim Hickey, if I'm not mistaken, but the Nats pitching coach. Uh, at some point, you know, with, with guys like this, of this stature, um, you know, Max Strauss, Corbin, you kind of just need to let them do what's made them successful to this point. The the tinkering and the change in game plans is really for the younger guys trying to figure out what will make them successful in the major leagues. And you know, not that throwing a changeup is necessary or throwing changeups more as a staff is a bad thing, but if a guy doesn't have a good changeup, he just doesn't have a good changeup. And I that's certainly not what makes Patrick Corbin Patrick Corbin. What makes Patrick Corbin Patrick Corbin is that nasty wipeout slider, mm-hmm. which is one of the best pitches in the league when it's on. And uh, you know, Matt Matt talked about I'm not gonna spoil the interview too much, but how the, the, the slider was obviously back to normal in this most recent start and the RPMs and spin rate was back up to what we're accustomed to seeing from Patrick Corbin. So hopefully this is a sign of things to come. And, uh, you know, obviously Max is still very much Max 
and <laughs> we will we will gladly accept uh, whatever uh, he graces us with every fifth day on the mound. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's crazy. Every year as we go into the season with Max, I think, oh, is this the year where it starts to go? Like, is this the year where, you know, time, father time catches up with him and, you know, the inevitable occurs. And he's just, he doesn't look like it so far. I mean, and I'll tell you, as he got into the middle innings in the game today, watching him, I mean, when that rhythm starts clicking and he's he's on, you're just like, he's just Max. He's the same as he's ever been, you know? Yeah, he got... Got into some trouble today with his pitch count, but he grinded and, uh, I mean. It was at the fourth and fifth. He came out really quick innings after laboring really hard yeah. through the first couple. But that's such a veteran thing to do. Like, he grinded through the first two innings. I think he was at 50 pitches after two, which is obviously not a very good pace. Um, and he got those quick innings. It's just such a veteran thing to do that mm-hmm. maybe a younger guy like Fetty or Ross wouldn't who both struggle, you know, going deep into games that they don't, you know, they might not have that in their bag of tricks. Whereas Max Scherzer, he's like, okay, you know, I'll let them, I'll let this guy put the ball in play so I can get out of here quicker and go deeper into this game and, and stretch it out and spare the bullpen a little. And, and it worked out great. Obviously a one zero win is a win is a win is a win. So. Yeah. But I think I tweeted out, I can't remember what inning it was in, maybe the third or fourth or fifth, but just that he was cruising at that point. And the opportunity the cards had to to get Max was in those first two innings, particularly the first. And if you don't get Max early, you generally don't get him. So it was yeah. good. It was, a, it was a great start. And like you said, the, the bullpens had some very taxing games early in the season. So seeing some of the starting rotations start to do do what they need to do, go at least six is very, very welcome because this <laughs> we've already seen water Suero's already on the IL. Like we, we can't have the bullpen getting used the way it has been. And speaking of bullpen usage, I have some bitching and kvetching to do about that, but we'll save that for a little bit later in the show. All right, let's move on from the good to the bad. The, the worst of the news since we talked a couple of days ago is that Juan Soto is on the IL, which is just, I have no words for how awful that is. Yeah, and like we we talked about this with Matt, how it kind of just came out that we're also, but it just it comes at a time when your two big offseason acquis- acquisitions and Bell and Schwarber aren't really you know there yet. They're not doing any power. Juan Soto and Trey Turner were kind of all you got, and he goes down to the IL, and you see the lineup. <laughs> And Andrew Stevenson's leading off. Josh Harrison's bang second. And like, no disrespect to them, but they're not top two hitters. And you're like, this is just absolutely disgusting. Like, this is really freaking ugly. Um, and they've scored four games in the two games without. Them. So like, the offense is taking a hit. They are two and zero without them. That's kind of like when you're you have like a five minute major and then also a minor in it. So it's five on three for an excessive amount of time in hockey, and you somehow don't give up a goal. It's kind of like that. Granted, they're not going to be able to keep winning these low-scoring games when he's out, so they're going to have to get something going at some point. But really wish Juan gets better soon. This team absolutely needs him. I mean, it's rather obvious to say he's the most important possession player this team has. So, yeah, hope his shoulder gets better soon. Really hope it isn't a lingering thing, because if it is, well, then good thing the DH is coming to the National League next year. Big time. And this is, you know, what I talked about when we talked when Robles first got dropped in the lineup and how Trey and 
one before he got hurt, we're hitting one too. It's kind of the situation this team had themselves in without, you know, that deep of a lineup. You need your stars in the lineup to, excuse me, set the table. And that's what Trey and Juan were doing one and two for a while. Now that Juan's hurt, Trey drops down and he's still really one of the only guys contributing. And hopefully Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber, these other guys start getting hot and really helping the cause. But your pitchers, when they're on, as we've seen the past two games with Corbin and, and Max, you know, they can take over a game and, and you don't need a ton of run support. They don't need a ton of run support when they're on. So hopefully, you know, they can bridge the gap until we get some sort of reinforcements, whether it's guys returning from the injured list or some sort of acquisition. Sorry, I forgot to unmute myself. Yeah, um, I don't know what. I don't know what we're going to expect or how long he's going to be gone. I was infuriated to hear the explanation that he's been having pain in his shoulder for a few days. So we decided to be really careful. I'm like, you're not being really careful if you let him play for a few days with pain in his shoulder. Like, I don't know how those things are mutually exclusive. I don't know what's going on with him. Hopefully it's something minor, but if he has a, some sort of minor thing and it's worse than it needed to be because they kept letting him play, then I don't even know what to say. You, you cannot, and you made a great point there, is that our lineup does not have depth. You cannot let Soto get hurt in a way that's gone. I mean, obviously, if something catastrophic happens and he hurts his knee running the bases, there's nothing you can do about that. But if there's something nagging and you can you can manage it better, then you better be damn careful with Juan Soto because without him, this team has absolutely no hope for this season. There's just not enough depth in this lineup to survive very long without Juan Soto in it. I mean, not to be too much of a Debbie Downer, but there, there's not a lot of hope even if you do have Juan Soto just because it, up, it's it, it's Trey and Juan. Like, I know. I, I, you know, th- that's who it is right now, and that's why we've been saying, you know, we we need another big bat, and they're hard to come by, which is why you really need to go out and get one. People like Shorewood and Bell can be great, you know, role players, and on their best days they can be like, you know, awesome awesome supporting cast but right now they're just role players they they provide some pop but they're not even doing that right now so it really like shortens your lineup and and makes it easy to to carve through which is why we're not scoring a lot of runs lately and it's what we talked about when they signed those guys when they when they went and got them you know that these are great acquisitions in a vacuum like cool that's a great guy to have on your team but as the guy to hit behind Soto and be your big power bat that you needed this offseason, neither of them qualifies for that. Yep. All right, let's move on to the ugly. So um, we talked about the bad, which is Juan Soto. The lack of power in this lineup, kind of this dovetails nicely with the conversation we were just having. The guys you kind of want to be your power bat, Soto's now on the IL, and Bell and Schwarber really aren't providing much power you got we've gotten one home run out of josh bell which was a fun one but it's and one out of schwarber <laughs> yeah exactly and the one from schwarber was awesome it was a tank and it was a walk off and it was super fun but one out of each of them in the first couple of weeks of the season is not really what we signed up for it's it's honestly like the entire team um their team ops before today's game before they scored their one run was 700 um they're on base their on base before today's game was 317, and they were hitting 253 as a team before today. That's not good. Um, it's it no ranks way. them right around league average for OPS, just because there are a lot of teams right now that are struggling mightily, like the Cubs. Um, but like, it's just not good. 
<laughs> it's this team is basically just nothing but singles. Like Starlin Castro is saying above 300, but his on base percentage is literally that because he has one walk and I think maybe one extra base hit. Victor Robles has one extra base hit, I believe. And then if you want to look around, Josh Bell has one double, one home run. I think Cal Schwarber may have two or three doubles. Um, Trey has multiple extra base hits. He's fine. Juan Soto had multiple extra base hits. Outside of them, no one else really does. Um, I know before everyone came back, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but before everyone came out, there's only like five guys who had an RBI. There's five guys who recorded a double. It's just, it's literally just ground balls. And when they do make good contact, it's right at people. So it's a pretty frustrating trend right now. They've been able to get by with this, but they're not going to be able to get by with it with long. That's something we just talked about a little bit. Someone's going to start, you know, picking it up, give Ryan Zimmerman some more, you know, whatever he was taking in 2017 or 2019. Give everyone that, you know, just start cheating. I'm, I'm only half joking, but like, <laughs> let's let's just get rolling. Let's let's start hitting. Some you, you just made a great point about the number of balls they're hitting right at people, which is you know something that you figure over the course of a long season. That's not gonna you know that will normalize to some extent, revert to the mean, and you'll get more of those falling in. Right now, they've had pretty bad luck that way. But it's this team is not hitting. I mean, we just won that series, which is great. If you say, oh, they beat the Cards and won the series, that's awesome. Except one of the games was won on a bases loaded walk from Jan Gomes. I mean, that was fun and that's cool, but you're not producing enough offense. One run isn't going to win against a lot of the teams on our schedule. Yeah. And it's also asking way too much of your pitching staff, not just your rotation, but your bullpen, both of which are hurting right now. You have to be perfect because you can't produce any runs. (laughs) Right. Like you're not even giving them a break, like a day where you score a ton of runs and, you know, Max can come out at 70 pitches because you have an eight-run lead or, you know, so on and so forth. Or maybe Ross or Fetty can pitch a little bit deeper because they have such a big cushion and they can work deeper into games and get through the third time in the lineup and, and go through that that game plan. You're not even allowing your pitching staff the that ability to, you know, help themselves out and see different situations or give themselves a break, whatever it may be. So, you know, like I just said, it's it's on Trey and Soto. I mean, Ryan said too, but it's on Trey and Soto right now. And without Soto, it's all on Trey. And as we've seen with Mike Trout for the past 10 years, you can't do it yourself. No one player can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And Trey's a great player, don't get me wrong, but he's not doing it himself. He, he doesn't no, have that and capability. He may start pressing too if it's, if it's to the point where he's the only one producing offense. It's too much pressure. Andrew Stevenson is currently our leadoff hitter. And I, I like Steve-O like, as his role, a fourth outfielder that we see sometimes. But even that, he's not like he's not excelling in that role. So the fact that he's our, you know, starting, I guess, right hitter, fielder. Yeah. Yeah. Leadoff hitter, starting outfielder. Like it's not a, a great thing. So it, it's, we have more power than last year, which is good, but so far we haven't seen it. So it's, it's more of the same. We have more power on paper. We haven't actually seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just concerning. I mean, I'm going to take this. It was a good series win, and that's obviously, every, you said it earlier, Nick, a win is the win is a win, and that's great. 
but it's not a sustainable model that they've got going on right now. So, you know, with the guys we have on the IL and the guys who aren't like Lester's not here and who even knows what we're going to see out of Lester when he gets back, whether he's actually going to be ready or whether it's going to take him some time to settle into, you know, pitching a normal amount of workload for a starter. Who knows, but it's definitely, I'll take the, I'll take the good, but I'm definitely concerned, especially as we go into the next series against the Mets, but we're going to do a series preview in a bit. Uh, before we do that, we have an interview with best friend of the podcast, Matt Wyrick. Ryan, would you like to, to uh, introduce that for us? Yes. Continuing on with the topics we kind of dabbled in, Nick and I sat down with who is now verified on Twitter, Matt Wyrick from NBC Sports Washington, and we talked all things, the Nats injuries, uh, Corbin concerns, Bell, Schwarber, what's up with them, Robles. We talked a lot. He's always a fantastic interview, and we really hope you guys enjoy. What's up, everyone? We are now joined by Verified best friend of the pod matt wyrick you can find his verified twitter account at by matt wyrick make sure you guys give him a follow and make sure you head on over to nbc sports washington to keep up with all of matt's latest work matt how you doing man good you guys flatter me too much man i don't deserve this thanks yeah, for having me on ryan you forgot to say make sure you check for the blue check mark that symbols a verified <laughs> status we don't want to follow the wrong matt wyrick on twitter so <laughs> of course check, check for the verified one <laughs> That's right. No, I, I tweeted out that I got the blue check, and then I realized I have, like, dark mode on my phone and computer and everything, and the check's white on there. So I was like, man, I'm oh, white not even there. looking at the, the blue check. I'm looking at this white <laughs> one. <laughs> well, it's long deserved. I'm pretty happy you got that. Um, last time we had you on, we're struggling with COVID. Half the team was out with COVID, and now you're back on, and it seems like half the team's hurt. Um, recently, Nats put Luis Avalon, Steven Strasburg, who we'll get to in a second, on the IL. And more recently, Juan Soto. And that one's kind of interesting because I feel like it really came out of nowhere. And we're not really sure what caused it also. Do you think this is going to be a quick 10-day trip for Juan or something that's kind of going to linger and bother him for some time? Yeah, so the way that he described it today, we were able to talk to him it's been bothering him for the past few days he, he couldn't pinpoint any individual incident that caused it just kind of you know normal wear and tear it, it just kind of ended up happening and he started feeling it uh, in his tricep went and got an MRI and the MRI showed a slight strain uh, he feels it only when he throws not when he swings at the plate so don't read into his 0 for 11 uh, skid right before he had that double in that final game before he went on the IL had nothing to do with his performance at the plate. He was just feeling it in the field. Uh, and the Nationals decided we're going to get out ahead of this. Uh, go ahead and shut him down now. That way he can get work back up to full strength and uh, come back as soon as he can. Davey wouldn't put a timetable on it, but all the verbiage so far coming from the team and Soto seems to be that this isn't a major injury. So if he doesn't sit out uh, the minimum 10 days, I would expect him to be back relatively soon after. Well, that's definitely good news. And, as much as we can, a sigh of relief for Nats fans about Juan Soto. I'm going to ask about, uh, you know, the other key cog or one of the key cogs that's uh, on the IL right now, and that's obviously Steven Strasburg. You, uh, you know, 
had us to uh, take a great trip down memory lane with all tweeting out all of uh, Strasburg's IL trips <laughs> and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, just coincidentally pointing out that every IL trip with shoulder inflammation has led to major offseason surgery. So, you know, thanks for that, Matt. Um, I know he threw off flat ground today and felt okay, according to reports, but uh, what can we expect from Strauss? Is this something that, you know, is going to linger? How careful are they going to be with him? And when can we expect him back? Yeah, if you think the Nationals are going to be careful with Juan Soto, wait until you see what they do with Strauss. Uh, you know, he threw that bullpen, said he felt pretty good. It wasn't a full vote of confidence from from Davey the way he was describing it today. Uh, but the, what he said moving forward is, is they're going to try and get him at least one or two sim games in. Uh, before bringing him back. So I would expect him to miss the next turn of the rotation uh, and perhaps the one after that as well, uh, which kind of gives the Nationals a chance to see Fetty and Ross. Obviously, they would not, you know, they'd rather have Strasburg in the rotation uh, if he's healthy, but they're going to take their time with it. Uh, they keep saying, you know, it's early, it's early. We, we don't need to rush him back or rush any of these guys back. You know, they've been saying the same thing with Lester, uh, giving Fetty the extra start this weekend. So uh, overall, it's... It, it's not a spot where the Nationals want to be, but it does seem like they're taking the cautious approach for now. All right, so I kind of set you up there. Um, not that I didn't want to know about Steven Strasburg, but uh, as on, uh, on our last episode of the podcast, which I'm sure you listened to, uh, we all got pretty heated about Davey Martinez. And specifically, you know, with someone like Steven Strasburg, Everyone and their mother could see in his last start he was not right. I mean, there was the infamous picture slash video of him, like, rubbing his neck and shoulder in the tunnel. And, mm -hmm. and, he, and everyone could see his velocities down. His command wasn't there. He was walking, guys, which someone like Strauss never does. So that was a, a clear indicator there. But Davey kept pitching him. And obviously, another guy in the I.L., Wander Suero, it's become a, a legitimate game on Twitter. Oh, uh, or a joke, I should say. Oh, there's a baseball game being played. Wander Suero, Wander Suero is warming up, or he's pitching, and now he's on the IL too. So I want to ask you and kind of just get your thoughts and if it's being talked about at all about Davey Martinez and specifically his, I guess, management with not just the bullpen but with pitchers in general because we've seen some very questionable decisions early on in the season. You know, Joe Ross being pulled. Uh, you know, in his first start was a big one. Patrick Corbin just yesterday and then leaving guys in too long like Strauss and a couple others. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that and uh, see what you think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a fair question given the, the injuries, especially that we've seen. Um, but, you know, the Nats starting pitching has not been good. And when the starting pitcher is poor, starting pitching is poor, then uh, you're going to be seeing, you know, more bullpen guys being pulled right out of the gate. And they saw that early on in the season. The the rotation was not holding up its weight, and the Nats were having to rely on the bullpen, which admittedly has been pretty good this season uh, mm -hmm. overall, you know, more maybe than a lot of people were expecting. So they've definitely been very pleased with that. But, you know, he's had to basically ask his starters to go deeper into games. Uh, maybe then they'd even be comfortable doing, given where their stuff is at, because he feels like he needs to give his bullpen a rest. Uh, it's a, definitely a difficult balance, and, and I understand the frustration. Uh, my thing is somebody has to pitch the innings, and, you know, they're seeing injuries in the rotation, they're seeing injuries in the, the bullpen, and, and somewhere some down the line, somebody's going to have to throw more pitches than they're going to want to. You know, they were able to get Corbin out of the game last night after only 76 pitches. 
uh, in a rare early poll for, for him. Uh, but in his previous start, you know, he was trotted back out there when the Nats were, I believe they were down five to two and Corbin hadn't had it all day. And he was walking guys at that terrible first inning, you know, and then he gave up, you know, four, four or five more runs after that. Uh, and, and Davey felt like he had no choice, but to stick with him uh, for, you know, as long as he could, he ended up only going two innings uh, in that start, but it was, you know, these are guys, the, the way Davies put it, these are Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin. They're guys who pitched their way, you know, to a World Series title, and he's going to continue to expect them to be those guys, even if they start off slow. He thinks they're pitchers who are able to figure things out and, and, and regain that command. Now, with Strasburg specifically, that start was very up in the air because, you know, his fastball velocity was down, and, and everybody was remarking about that during the game. And afterwards, we asked him about it, and he says, I was actually holding back on some of my pitches because I couldn't locate them at all. Uh, so I needed to put less velocity on them to make it easier to locate. If Steven Strasburg is having to throw like lighter in order to locate his pitches, I think that should be a major warning right. flag for Davey. You know, at that point, you know, you need to take him out. If, if he was still going full strength, just saying, like, look, I'm missing my spots, but I'm going to get there. That's one thing. But he was legitimately changing his, his throwing motion in order to throw slower. Uh, you know, just to locate his pitches. And that right there, you know, that should have been the hook for me. Uh, you know, the, the whole thing with him rubbing his shoulder, you know, they said, oh, it's just a normal in-between innings thing. But then, you know, he gets scratched before his next start and hits the IL. I don't really know what the whole story is there, whether or not it was actually related to the injury he's feeling now or if it's something different. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it, was a, it was a troublesome outing for Strasburg and for him to hit the IL right after that. You know, you, you obviously can't feel good. Uh, about where he is in his health uh, in getting back to a, you know, a five game routine. Cause he was great in that first start, you know, that, that first mm -hmm. outing of the year, he was awesome. And the way he described it after the second game was look like I'm just not used to pitching every five days yet. You know, this was my first time going back out there five days later, uh, you know, and since 2019, then that's, that's something that you can understand, I think. But now with the injury being added to it, it's just left things in a lot of flux and it's, kind of hard to, to sort through it all and, and figure out what exactly is the situation with Strasburg and, you know, where can, can, how far can Davey rely on the guy before it becomes a liability? Yeah. And one of the pitching issues that you mentioned was Patrick Corbin. Um, he is in a large part, a pretty big contributor to what was the worst ERA for certain pitchers in the national league. As you noted, his first two starts are terrible, but the other night, he went six shutout innings. What did Corbin and the Nationals do different? And like, what did they find for that to be such a drastic change going from 16 runs in his first six innings to doing six shutout innings? Yeah, so after that April 15th start against the Diamondbacks, Davey Martinez said he stayed with Jim Hickey and Henry Blanco in the office until past 12 o'clock that night. And then he went home and was thinking about Corbin again uh, for at least two more hours after he got home before he went to bed. So that was like this, this big thing for him was like, oh, I was up so late last night. We were, you know, really thinking about Corbin, really looking at, you know, his mechanics, and everything. And what they decided was they had approached him in spring training saying, hey, we want to see if you can develop your, your changeup more. We, we, we see your changeup as a legitimate weapon, and we think it's something that can be further developed. He only threw it about 7% of the time in his career leading up to this season, so it wasn't really a major pitch for him. Uh, as opposed to his fastball and his sinker and his slider. Uh, you know, those are kind of his big three-pitch mix that he relies on the, the most. But he had the change up. He mixed it in occasionally, and they said, look, we want you to work on this more and, and mix it in. So he starts doing that in spring training. 
has a little bit of success in spring and then comes into the season and he's mixing in that changeup more, throwing more fastballs and way fewer sliders. And he was all over the place. I mean, he had seven walks in those first two outings. You know, he gave up all those home runs. Uh, it, it was just, you know, he was everywhere. Uh, and, and what Davey figured out or, or what they, you know, their conclusion was, was that Corbin finishing the slot, the, the changeup actually was affecting his motion of his slider because it's a similar follow through, but he isn't, wasn't finishing the pitch uh, of the slider, what you do with your wrist, as opposed to his finish on a changeup. So he decided, okay, let's, you know, Patrick, we need to get away from the changeup. It was a nice try, but let's go back to who you are. You know, you are a fastball slider pitcher, you know, go back to the fastball slider, rely on what's made you good in the first place. Uh, and, you know, just, just get, build some confidence and put out a good outing. And that's exactly what he did uh, against the Cardinals last night. You know, six shutout innings, gave up four hits. He got a little lucky with some calls there, I will say. Um, and, and after the game, Davey Martinez and Mike Rizzo this morning on the Junkies both talked about how they really liked the spin rate on Corbin's slider. I looked it up, and the spin rate was just about where it was in 2020, which prior to that, in, in the four years prior, was about 100 RPMs higher than it was last night. So I don't think it's at that point yet, um, but the max uh, RPMs did show that he did have a few pitches that were hitting the, that mark, you know, that he kind of averaged in 2019 and, and prior. So he's able to get to that point. I think now it's just for him to get that slider, to have that consistent spin rate, uh, a little bit higher up because that's what makes it such a filthy pitch. I mean, it, honestly, at his best, he's one of the best sliders, and especially one of the best sliders from a lefty uh, in all of baseball. So that if if he can get that pitch to be his number one go-to pitch again, you know, it's definitely not in the question that he can turn things around this season. Yeah, and obviously that's huge to the Nats' success, not only season long, but during the stretch with a bunch of guys out. Um, Another thing that's come up recently with all of those guys out like Strauss and Lester still on the mend and and obviously with the bullpen kind of changing pieces all the time, um, the Nats have a couple off days coming up in the next uh, couple weeks. So there's been talk about a four-man rotation to kind of uh, bridge the gap until Strauss and Lester and what other, whatever other reinforcements come in. Uh, have you heard any more on that? Is that the direction they're going? And do you think it's a good idea putting so much uh, pressure, even though it, it's a normal rest with the off days, putting so much pressure on your, your four guys when you don't have much depth to uh, help out? You know, it, it's a tricky situation. Uh, with the way they are right now, I, I think it makes sense to go with a four-man rotation. Uh, Nick, I know, I know you feel uh, differently about that, but <laughs> and I, I get it. I get it because yes, you don't want to get any of these guys hurt. Like right now, you need Max Scherzer and Patrick Corbin and Joe Ross and probably Eric Fetty at this point, you know, to be healthy and pitching right now. Because if you were to test this pitching depth any further, you're going to get into really dangerous territory with some unproven arms. You know, you're really not sure what you're going to get. I mean, we saw that you know Espino came up. Uh, and delivered a pretty good start over the weekend and a spot start for Strasburg. But, you know, you're not going to get that lucky every single time. And the, and the Nationals pitching depth, while they've hyped it up uh, a little bit more this year than they have in recent seasons because they like a lot of those young arms that they have, you know, kind of coming up. Uh, I don't, you know, it hasn't been proven in the major leagues yet. Uh, so you don't want to get any of those guys hurt at the same time. You know, Scherzer is a guy who has shown he can be durable in the past. I know he dealt with, you know, some injuries in 2019 and, and uh, nearly missed a start in 2020. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he's, he's been a 200 inning pitcher and so is John Lester for that matter, who they should be getting back within the next week. So, 
you know, those are, those are two guys who continually post every five days, and, and I would expect them to be able to continue to do so uh, right now. You know, the Nationals would love to get an extra starter two out of Max Scherzer. With the way he's pitching right now, I think his ERA dropped to 1.80. Uh, after today's start. So, you know, he's, he's off to a fantastic start to the season. Uh, and if they can get, you know, him in, you know, against some division rivals, which they have coming up, uh, you know, they'll have their, their two games against the Blue Jays, and then they're going into a series against the Marlins, uh, and then the Braves, and then the Yankees, and the Phillies. Um, so if, if, depending on how long Strasburg is out, you know, they have a couple of off days in there. I would be for manipulating it just to get Scherzer in there as much as possible, maybe to line him up uh, against some of those better pitchers that you're going to face. You know, maybe he gets to go head-to-head with Garrett Cole, uh, over that weekend next month, I would be really excited to see that. But also, you know, it just gives the Nationals the best chance to win uh, when you're, you're matching up Scherzer against those number one guys. And another great matchup, or given the Nats a good chance to win, has been Brad Hand this year. Um, it's only been six innings, but he's been absolutely lights out through these six innings. He got his third save of the year, and you talked about on Twitter his current save streak. What does this do for not only just the Nationals, but Davey and this bullpen knowing we have a lockdown guy that we can throw in in the ninth inning who's going to shut everything down for us. Yeah, I mean, games are eight innings right now. You know, if the Nationals are in the lead, they're not worried about putting things into the ninth inning and having Brad Hand, uh, you know, take hold of it. And then, and we were saying before, the bullpen has been uh, a really big surprise for the Nationals so far. Uh, you know, Daniel Hudson has been pretty awesome this year. He was laboring a bit today. Day, but, you know, he ended up having to throw like 40 pitches or whatever uh, in that eighth inning. They had Kyle Finnegan up, but Davey decided to, to lean on on Hudson there after, you know, he pitched the day before. I don't know how much the Nationals are going to want to pitch those guys in back-to-back games. Um, that's going to be kind of a test of, the, of that depth. Once they get Will Harris back, it'll make things a little bit easier. You know, they'll be able to mix, you know, maybe give one guy a night off and have the other three between Rainey, Hudson, and, and Hand, you know, take uh, those last three innings or last two innings, whatever it is, um, depending on how much length the, the starters are giving them. But I'd say right now, you know, Hand has looked every bit as awesome uh, as he was advertised to be. You know, he was signed for, for $10.5 million over the offseason, which uh, oddly enough made him the uh, most expensive signing of the Nationals offseason um, just for the one year. Uh, and, and, you know, he could be a candidate to stick around beyond that. They, they have Daniel Hudson is only locked up through this season. He'll be a free agent, and Will Harris will be a free agent after 2022. So the, the Nationals' bullpen, aside from Tanner Rainey, Kyle Finnegan, and those younger guys, they don't have a ton of long-term answers. And who is 31 this season, you know, could be a, you know part of that mix. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, having Hand moves Hudson to the setup role, which he likes better than uh, closing, and we've seen Rainey a lot, so hopefully Davey doesn't drive him into the ground like he did Suero, but... We'll, we'll see. Switching gears a little bit, uh, I want to talk about someone I always talk about because I've just never been that big of a believer in him, um, and I would love to be proven wrong, and that's Victor Robles. Um, you know, at the start of the season, uh, when we last talked to you, Robles was the leadoff guy. It was him, then Trey, then Soto, and then the rest, however they fell. Now, uh, two weeks, two, three weeks later, Robles is down in the order. He's not doing as well as he did that first series against the Braves. Uh, what are they talking about with Robles? Is this just temporary while he figures things out and kind of gets into a groove and then he's going to jump back up? Or is this kind of where we're going to see from the Nats lineup going forward? Yeah, so he originally got pushed down to the number nine spot um, when they when Davey decided he wanted to give a look to Soto and Trey. I'm sorry, Trey and Soto 
uh, one, two at the top of the order. Uh, and that obviously has worked, uh, you know, mm -hmm. with, it did before um, uh, Soto went, hit the IL. Trey was, was stealing bases. He was, didn't steal a ton of bases early on when Robles was hitting leadoff. And then when he was kind of freed from that and able to, to just get on, uh, up at the top of the order himself, uh, he, he stole a couple extra bases. Uh, so that was working. But then Soto hits the IL, and they move Andrew Stevenson up uh, to the leadoff spot, which I thought was interesting because they had Robles available uh, to hit leadoff if they wanted to. They decide to go to somebody else. Now they faced right-handed pitchers the last two nights, so that could be the reason why. Uh, just that the splits that, that Robles has had in his career, righties versus lefties, he's traditionally crushed lefties a lot better. Uh, so I guess it kind of makes sense to keep him down at the order until they do get to a lefty and then bring him back around. Davey has said this is this is not a permanent thing. He wants to get Victor back at the, the top of the, the lineup. And I will say, you know, coming into the game tonight, his, his OBP was 351. And, and obviously the 213 batting average is, is not something you want to see. But this approach that he's had this year where he's, he's been a much, much more patient, he's seeing yeah. the ball into the zone a, bit, a lot more, you know, taking more balls, not swinging at these crazy breaking balls that are way in the dirt. Uh, and, and, you know, he's fouling a lot more pitches off. I'll, I'll say this is what the Nationals wanted to see from him two years ago. And, and they're seeing from him now, which obviously is not optimal considering, you know, he's three years into his career. Uh, but at the same time, he, he's finally starting to show that progress where it says, OK, you know, in the future, he can build off of this approach and, and really get more comfortable in it and start to actually, in, you know, bring some power back around. Because that's what we haven't seen from this is power. I mean, he has one extra base hit so far in the season. It's a triple uh, that really was enabled by his legs more so than his power. Uh, so he hasn't been able to barrel up a lot of balls just because he's had such a big focus on this new approach. And, and, and this new approach is significant. It is He changed everything about his swing uh, and his approach at the plate over the offseason. He, he spent some time in the Dominican League. Then he came up, uh, lost a bunch of weight after gaining a bunch of weight the year before, uh, and, and then came in with uh, – the, the Nats hitting coach, Kevin Long, saying, look, dude, you know, this is a big spring for you. I want to see you acting completely different at the plate. And to his credit, he's done it. Uh, so, you know, I, I get the frustration that he hasn't been the, the guy that he was expected to be as a prospect. And, you know, he, his, his pitch recognition is still not as good as we might have expected it to be when he was a prospect. Uh, but he's getting better. And that's certainly, you know, for a guy who's 24 years old, still, you know, prospect age, that, that's something that you can feel encouraged by. We just need to start seeing more consistent contact, putting the ball in play as opposed to fouling it off uh, and getting some of his power back involved because, you know, he was he was almost a 2020 player back in 2019. 17 home runs and uh, in, in 28 stolen bases. So, you know, he was really close to reaching that threshold. Uh, I think he can definitely be a 20 home run hitter perennially moving forward. He just really needs to get used to this new approach. Uh, and start really zeroing in on, you know, his pitches and, and doing some damage with them. And you talked about him not, so far not being what people thought he would be. Two more players like that is Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber. The Nats brought them in as the big power middle-of-the-order bats. So far, it's not going that that well. Um, they combined for two home runs, and looking at their updated numbers, Bell slashing 161, 253, 25. Schwarber slashing 200, 238, 350. Um, is there any type of concern with the Nationals about how they're starting off, or are they more just contributing it to the fact that they were confined to their homes for almost two weeks, basically not seeing any type of live pitching whatsoever? Yeah, I mean, you can use that 
for only so long, you know, that I think at a certain point you have to start saying, you know, when are they going to get that timing down? And, and obviously Bell had that home run yesterday and Schwarber hit the walk-off over the weekend. Uh, so they've had moments where they really connected, but they just haven't, neither of them have really seemed like they've gotten their timing down at all. Uh, you know, Bell's swing is so mechanical. Uh, it has a lot of moving parts to it. Uh, just his body in general has a lot of moving parts uh, in, in a lot of areas of his game. Uh, and, and for him to, he's a rhythm guy is the way Davey put it today. And, and he's a guy who, you know, once he really settles in and starts, starts seeing the pitches, uh, you know, in the way that, that he's able to do some damage with them, uh, the Nationals are, are, are confident he'll be able to get to that point. It's just kind of, you know, he's streaky. And this is, this is what we knew about Josh Bell, you know, coming in was we had seen the highs and the lows from him. I mean, he was, he was downright bad in 2020 after, you know, 2019 pre-All-Star break, he, he looked like an MVP candidate. Uh, and then really fell off after that also break and, and struggled that whole second half and then struggled all of 2020. Uh, so we really haven't seen a consistent Josh Bell uh, since July of 2019. So it's going to take some time. I think that was understood that he would get off to a slow start, even if the, the season started, you know, on time and he was able to play. You know, he was he was squaring up the ball a lot in spring training, but I can't tell you how many times we've seen players uh, who will be, you know, spring training MVPs and then come into the season and just all of a sudden they're not seeing anything at all uh, because the pitching is just ramped up and, and, and the whole game is different. Uh, so with, with Bell, I was kind of expecting him to be, you know, off to that slow start. With Schwarber, I would have liked to see him, you know, he, he's got more of a compact swing now. He talked a lot in spring training about wanting to be more squatty at the plate, which allows him to make better contact and reach those pitches on the outside of the zone. I wouldn't say we've really seen that from him this year. Uh, you know, they're, they're using him also as a, an everyday player as opposed to a platoon guy, uh, while his, his batting average um, against righties right now is 167, while his batting average against lefties is 429, uh, which being a lefty just doesn't really make any sense. So I guess it's, it's they're right, but they're almost, he's got reverse splits all of a sudden. So uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how Schwarber's numbers kind of even out. It, can he be an everyday player at this point, both because of his glove and because of his platoon numbers in the past? Uh, that's a question, and that's really a question that he has to answer this year because he's going to go back into free agency next offseason and have to explain to other clubs what exactly he's capable of and have you know the numbers to prove it. So this is a big year for him. He's hoping to stick around with the Nationals long term, but obviously you know he needs to start coming through in, in, in big ways uh, for that to happen. Yeah, and obviously um, with those two guys, they do bring power, and we saw that last week with the Schwarber walk-off, and then last night with Bell finally getting on the, the, the board for home runs in, in 2021, and that was something this lineup desperately lacked last year, so some power is better than no power, and Bell in particular has been squaring up the ball pretty uh pretty well the last couple of days so hopefully he's turning a corner matt I, the last question i have for you i kind of just wanted to ask your general thoughts on the nats as a whole through what two three weeks of the season um you know I, for me personally once the news about all the guys that had covid and stuff i expected a, a much slower start so i've been pleasantly surprised you know we're seven and nine right now and kind of we're half a game out of last place but no one's really breaking away from the pack. So we're still very much in it uh, at this point. We're not falling too far behind, but I would just want to get your thoughts and how you, uh, how things have changed versus how you expected them to play out through the first month of the season. 
Yeah, I mean, with, with how brutal their schedule was to start the year, fully expected them to get off to a bit of a slow start here. Uh, you know, they're 7-9 and nine now, which uh, isn't doesn't seem all that bad when you consider they were missing right. nine players to start the year, and they had to go, you know, right out of the gate. They faced the Braves and the Dodgers and the Cardinals and the Diamondbacks and the Cardinals, and now they're going to place the Mets and the Blue Jays. You know, so those are, those are all good teams, teams that are expected to compete uh, for the playoffs with the exception of maybe the Diamondbacks. Um, you know, overall you were kind of expecting them to run into some trouble early on. Uh, I think really the, the thing for me is just the offense having so many inconsistencies. Uh, I really feel like they're missing another bat in the middle of the lineup. I mean, we said it over the off season, uh, how they were, you know, rumored to be in on third baseman. And then Mike Rizzo comes out and says they didn't really look for a third baseman. Um, but you know, with Carter, Carter Keeboom not making the opening day roster, the onus gets put on Josh Harrison, who's added to the lineup and he's been awesome. Uh, but they, they don't have anybody who really, uh, you know, can be at the level of Soto and Trey Turner. I mean, obviously Soto and Trey Turner are superstars, but we're, we're talking about competing in a national league uh, where, you know, every team has two or three, at least three, uh, you know, really good hitters in their lineups, at least those teams that have serious aspirations for making the World Series. So uh, you, you just look at the division alone and the Mets and the, the Phillies and uh, the Braves, all those teams, they all have really good lineups, lineups that, that have basically are the backbone of their team's success. And, of course, the Nationals is their pitching. Uh, but when the pitching struggles, you know, that's a, the, the Nationals always talked about, look, we're a team built on our starting pitching. The starting pitching isn't there. What are the Nats? Uh, and, and, obviously, they get a good start from Scherzer tonight. They get Corbin bouncing back, and, and Lester should be coming back soon. So they're expecting things to be on the upturn, uh, upturn in terms of their rotation. But, you know, they can't keep winning one to nothing games. They're, 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 they're going to need to really step up on offense. You know, with Soto out right now, they, they definitely you know, are going to need to see some other guys step up and be contributors. And maybe this can be an opportunity for a guy like Josh Bell or, or Kyle Schwarber to settle in and heat up and kind of replace Soto's spot in the lineup as much as you can while he's out and then build off of that once Soto returns. Um, but, you know, I can't tell you how good uh, Chris Bryant would look in the middle of that lineup oh, right now. Oh, man. Um, you know, no disrespect to Starling Castro. You know, he leads the team in RBIs right now, so he's certainly, you know, done his job. But Bryant is such, off to such a start, start at third. You think that you could probably get him for a relatively cheap price at the deadline? I mean, you know, rentals don't get huge returns these days, and I know Mike Rizzo doesn't want to give up anything significant for a rental, but to me – you know, if, if he's the one missing piece for this team, I think you got to go and, and find a player like him to inject to this lineup because it could be a huge difference maker. I agree. I mean, we would all love to see Chris Bryant. We talked about a lot in the offseason. Um, a you handsome know, man, too. So handsome, those baby <laughs> blue eyes. Um, oh, yeah. Gets you every time. <laughs> as you know, we like to end with a more of a fun question. Um, on the last episode of our pod, we talked about what is the best rivalry in baseball. So have to get your take on it. What do you think is the best rivalry in baseball as of right now? As of right now, well, the Dodgers Padres opening series was pretty fun. Fantastic. Um, uh, gotta say, I really thought they were going. The Padres were going to win that first game that went to crazy extras. Um, they were up. They were up by like four. I had live bet them. It was a disaster. Um, <laughs> Uh, but overall, I thought they played pretty well. Uh, they lose Tatis, and they get him back in time for that series. That was big. Uh, but now the, the Padres are slipping right now. I think they're 500 uh, after losing today to the Brewers. They're, they're 10 and um, 10. 10 and 10, yeah. And, and so they're going to this series. with the, They have another series of Dodgers coming up this weekend. Um, 
I, I think that's probably the best, best rivalry in baseball, even if the Dodgers won't admit that it's a rivalry. It's really funny because after that third game, reporters on both sides asked the players, like, hey, what do you think of this rivalry between these two teams? And all the Padres players were like, it's super fun. Like, I wouldn't have called a rivalry a few years ago, but this is like, you know, this is the game now. Like, we're, we're in it. Uh, and the Dodgers were just like, uh, you know, they're, they're a good team. Like, we love playing them. Uh, you know, looking forward to our next chance to, to have our, our roster tested. You know, stuff like that, where the Dodgers were downplaying it a lot. So I, I, I'm kind of looking for the, the Dodgers to feed into it a bit more. They did have the benches clear at one point and uh, in, in think that was the final game. Um, so let, let's maybe see a little bit more of that or, you know, some some more uh, emphatic comments coming from the Dodgers side. Some uh, put it in the river or whatever, you know, Max Muncy's thing, the Madison Bumgarner was back in the day. Um, you know, some stuff like that, I think, will add to it. But th- these are the two best teams in the National League, in my opinion, and uh, even with the, the Padres record. So with them being in the same division, going head-to-head 19 times a year, we're going to see some fireworks from those two sides for sure. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited. They're they're playing again this weekend in L.A., and I'm sure their fans are going to act like it's a rivalry, even though the players aren't going exactly. to say anything. Um, Matt, well, as always, it's a pleasure having you on the pod. Another fantastic episode and another great addition with the verified Matt's moment. Um, once again, please give him a follow on his verified Twitter account at by Matt Weirich, and please head on over to NBC Sports Washington to keep up with all of his latest work. Matt, thank you so much, man. Have a good weekend. Thank you, fellas. Never forget your day once. <laughs> Once again, a big thank you to Now Verified on Twitter, Matt Wyrick. You guys can give him a follow on Twitter. That's his official title now. <laughs> yes, we, we address him as such, and we're only going to address him as such from here on out. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He is Now Verified at by Matt Wyrick. And head over to NBC Sports Washington to keep up with all of his latest verified works. Fantastic. And now that we've heard from our best friend of the podcast, let's hear from our sponsor. Yep. Here's that interview. And every interview is brought to you in part by Manscaped. They are the leaders in men's below the waist grooming. You know, the lawnmower 3.0, it's compact design, it's skin safe performance has advanced engineering with 7,000 RPM. That's almost as much as a, a good Patrick Corbin slider. Um, you know, it features precision-engineered blades, ceramic blades, I might add, convenient USB docking port. It has 90 minutes of battery life. It's waterproof. has a flashlight. The weed whacker is also great. It's the ears and nose hair trimmer that focuses on maximum performance and comfort. also has a long battery life. Uh, they have the Crop Cleanser, which is their, you know, hair and body wash, Crop Reviver, which is the ball spray, Crop Preserver, anti-chafing ball deodorant, perfect as we start, I guess, today was uh, the outlier because it was freaking cold and windy, but we are getting warmer outside, so the anti-chafing ball deodorant that is the Crop Preserver is helpful. Any of these products would be helpful to your life. I mean, you can get all of them. And Half Street High Heat can help you do that. Use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped. Tons and tons and tons of great stuff. Highly recommend you try it. Um, You will not be disappointed. They've hooked us up, and they can hook you up 
And we're hooking you up too. Again, use our promo code HSH20 for 20% off and free shipping. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Let's move on to do our Mets series preview, which will start with a uh, clash of the Titans, we'll call it, between <laughs> Jacob DeGrom and Eric Fetty. Yeah. So <laughs> looking at the weekend pitching matchups as a whole, they're pretty fun. As you mentioned, we have. Eric Fetty and Jacob DeGrom on Friday. Saturday, we have Joe Ross going against Marcus Stroman. And on Sunday, we have Patrick Corbin going against Taiwan Walker. And I think it's going to be a pretty fun series. You know, the Mets aren't really doing their thing either right now. They're underperforming. Their offense as a whole is struggling as something we know about. But the thing about the Mets, there's some pretty damn good pitchers. We talked about DeGrom at length. He has one earned run this year and his starts he's going to continue his dominance but the thing we have going for us um they don't score in his runs so eric fetty who's coming off absolute heater of going five innings he's not going to give you past five innings um if, if he can get you five innings you know maybe you'll luck into one against the grom and get a couple errors and you might score three unearned runs against him like the uh, rockies did you might get lucky that's the only game i don't really feel good about um if Marcus Stroman's on, he is very unhittable. The thing with him, though, is you you don't really know what Marcus Stroman is going to show up. Um, I'm just pulling up his numbers right now. As we saw, you know, he was absolutely on fire against the Rockies. He was shimming all over the place. It was fantastic. But the season, he's 3-0 with a .9 ERA in his three starts. His whip is .65. He's not walking people. He's been absolutely lights out. So the lights out Marcus Stroman has showed up this season. Again, it's going to be, is it going to be the dominant one that's been him this year or the questionable one we've seen in the past? Nats are going to hope that it's the questionable one because if both those guys are on, it's going to not going to be a lot of offense from the Nats. So those are the two games that you're looking at and you're like, ah, you know, on paper, these might be a little rough Sunday. That will probably be their best chance to score a lot of runs. But then again, it's baseball. Anything can happen. But I think it's going to be a fun series on Friday. There's this group of middle schoolers who bought out like the left field section for Juan Soto day. Juan Soto's hurt and he also doesn't play left field. So it's going to be pretty fun. It's New York. New York fans are they're New York. You, you There's something. Everyone knows what I mean when I say that. So it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, although the one thing that gives me hope is that the Nats love to give tons of run support to Eric Fetty, and the Mets hate to give any run support to Jacob DeGrom. So if there's any hope, it, it lies there, I think. Yeah, and, you know, as far as the pitching, match go, pitching matchups go, uh, even Taiwan Walker, I don't think we've seen the best from him in terms of his, I guess, two or three starts to this season. He's had a couple weird starts and coming back from an injury. So who knows which Taiwan Walker we see on Sunday, whether it's the the good one or the one we... we... Um, but this, this isn't saying much considering this is, what, our sixth series of, of the season. But this is our most important. With the the state of the NL East right now, we need to definitely win at least one. Two would be awesome, um, just because no one is separating themselves right now. And if we drop two of three, or God forbid, three of three, we're allowing the Mets to kind of build a cushion uh, in the NL East. And obviously, they're at, at the top right now. 
granted not by much, but it's still an opportunity that you want to take advantage of. The Mets are not hot. They have the capability of being hot. And if the Nats can continue this like scratch claw, you know, scrappy mentality that they, they've been having, then maybe we find ourselves in a pretty good position next week. Hopefully we get Juan Soto back and, and a couple other guys are, are nearing return as well. And then we can really hit the, the ground running into into May and not be in such a hole <clears throat> 19 and 31 as uh, you know before. Yeah, I, I feel like this has been such a weird start to the season with the, the COVID delay, right, started off and all the injuries and everything that's been going on. And, um, you know, like Lesser having, you know, had the completely unrelated medical issue that has kept him out for a long time. It's just not at all the it's not the team that they were expecting they were going to be fielding before the season started. So if they can get through April without finding themselves in a hole, if they can be right in the thick of the NL East, which we talked about before, super tight, just a few games separate first and last place. You know, if you can tread water against your divisional opponents, then you can you know get into the part of the season where hopefully you're healthier and it's a little warmer and the ball's flying more and, and you said maybe get into something of a rhythm and see what you can do. But right now the Mets are not looking as no, no one in the NL East really is, but the Mets especially aren't looking like who they were built to be going into the season. If we're going to catch them at a time when they're not at their best, this is an opportunity where they've got to take at least one, two would be amazing. Yeah. They're so they've, they lost. So now the Nats are in last place and they're only 1.5 games back. Um, Nick, Nick talked about how, again, it is early, but this is, this is an important series. The Mets, push back their pitchers to line them up for the series. Obviously division games mean more than non-division games, but you know, their offense isn't good. As of right now, their offense is underperforming big time. They're slashing 244, 333, 360 as a team. That's mm. worse than the Nats, Woof. except for on base. They have a higher on base percentage. But their offense is severely struggling. Um Francisco Lindor hit his first home run of the season tonight. I think Pete Alonso hit his second of the season tonight. So their offense isn't doing well either. There's a very good chance we're playing a bunch of three to two, four to three ball games all weekend. And I don't think they're going to beat the Grom. No disrespect to Eric Fetty or the Nats, but you know, it's one. Not of the very best. many people do beat DeGrom, So that's not, that's not an insult. It's, it's one of the best pitches of all time and Jacob DeGrom going at it. But I feel like Saturday and Sunday, they're both up in the air and win Saturday and just hope you can take two or three. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing we haven't mentioned yet, games in May mean just as much as games in August and September, too. Like, mm-hmm. if you go back to two years ago, you know, 1931, blah, 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 you know, imagine if Christian Yelich had played the wild card game. The error probably maybe doesn't happen. The Nats never walk off. The run never happens. I bet you wish the Nats performed better in May that then if that had happened in that alternate reality. So these games are super, super important. As Ryan said, division games obviously mean much, much more. So we have to, you know, step up for the series. And, you know, I'm just tired of this. We've talked about it before, this win one, lose one mentality. Like, let's go on a run. Let's get it together. Like, I know we're hurting right now, but this team is scrappy. They're clearly capable of still winning games and being competitive. So let's make something happen against a division rival. It's I'm getting pumped. 
Yeah, it, it, I know. Me too. Get all feist. Just like let's um, do it. Honestly, I mean, <laughs> like, what are we waiting for? It's just everyone's like wait, waiting to get clicking and get going. Like, let just make it happen. Get out for this freaking series and like let's sweep the Mets. Okay, beat, beat the Grom. Set the tone. That would that's, be amazing. That's another thing. Two points here. One. You can't win divisions in April, but you can lose divisions in April. Oh. Um, that's a very important thing. Also, play with some damn energy and excitement. This team is so boring. Very, like, there's very no, boring. No one's showing any emotion whatsoever. They don't do the dancing in the dugout anymore. No one's hyped. I mean, you can't pimping home runs because they're not hitting any home runs. But Yeah, there were just a couple of it. games. Like, there was the one where, what was the first one where Hudson came in and he got all excited when Max was, well, Max had kind of gotten everybody all hyped up in that game. Because Max the, always the pitches with emotion. I can just yeah. hear Monty right now screaming Adam Eaton, and I just want to say, Monty, shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing is, it drives me nuts when people say that. Like, oh, it's still early. Don't worry about it. I'm like, these losses matter just as much as a loss in August or a loss in June. Like, you, you can't let yourself get in a hole. We have played so many seasons in a row where they get off to terrible starts. Like, right now, they're kind of almost back to 500 right now. I mean, you're 7-9. You've got an opportunity here if you can take one or two of these next games, you know, at this out of this next series. If you can take two out of three, you're, you're really sitting in a much better position. If you lose all of these or you lose two out of three, you know, you're you're putting yourself kind of back in that hole. So I would really like to see them get up for this series. And if they could beat DeGrom, that would be amazing. Like I said, DeGrom never gets any run support. So if the offense can show some signs of life, it's not impossible once they get DeGrom out of the game, maybe and get into the bullpen. Yep. Yep, yep. All right. Anything else before we go on to our one big thing? No, let's hit it. All right. I'm doing mine first this week because or this episode because I am irritated at Davey Martinez and his bullpen usage. It makes me insane. Um, this is my one big thing for this. Today, um, when he went to Rainey, I said something on Twitter about I can't comprehend why he's going to Rainey here. And after Rainey had a good inning, everybody was – going, ho, ho, this didn't age well, and oh, see, I can comprehend, blah, blah, blah. So I was just like, you know what, just because it worked doesn't mean it was a good decision. You can do something that was the wrong decision and have it work out, and you can make the right decision and have it not work out. And he is running these guys into the ground again already. You, I, And then after the game, he said, oh, we've got a day off tomorrow, so I figured they'd be fine to go. You don't need to pitch those guys two days in a row. Like You need to use the guys you have in the bullpen. I know it was a tight game, and it ended up working out, but they didn't look great. Other than uh, Rainey had a, you know, a good inning, his stuff looked great. But, you know, Hudson came out and struggled mightily. He doesn't do great on back-to-back appearances generally. Like, just, you don't need to run these guys into the ground. And just because something worked doesn't mean it was the right decision. So, anyway, that pissed me off earlier. So, that's yeah. my one big thing. I mean, you're not going to catch any slack from me about, you know, poo-pooing Davey Martinez's uh, bullpen decisions. And I literally called it literally last episode. Tanner Rainey, he, he seems like the guy that David Martinez is going to overuse now. And, you know, two days in a row, if not three, he, he very well could be that guy. And I get it. Tanner Rainey needs more innings to get right and kind of be the, the Tanner Rainey we saw last year. Um, but they don't need to be back-to-back days. doesn't need to be <laughs> so much. Uh, my one big thing is it, it's annoying, but – it, 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 over the past week, it's popped up a lot. I'm tired of the the fan police. Like everyone's going to, you know, root for the team. They way root for the team. Amanda, like you said, like 
you know, these losses still count, Ryan. You said, you know, you can lose the division in April. So, you know, why not be upset after a loss or a poor managerial decision? Like, that's what fandom's all about. It, You know, you think to uh, you know, NFL, and I understand there's a lot less games, but you're pissed after a loss. You're saying you can't be pissed after a loss in baseball? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Let people be the fans they want to be, you know, if they have a dumb take, make fun of them. That That's still fair game, but, you know. <laughs> what would Twitter be without making fun yeah, of dumb takes? Everyone's going to, you know, express their fandom in their own way. It doesn't mean we're not fans if, if we're more negative than someone else. It's just, it's getting so annoying. And I, I keep retire- trying to retire from, like, all this Twitter beef. And I keep getting sucked back into it, and I hate it. But... <laughs> You know, overall, like, we're all still Nats fans, and hopefully this team turns around. Obviously, it's much more fun to be a fan when they're winning than they're losing. It's not like anyone's rooting for them to lose. So just, you know, keep on keeping on. There's no reason to, you know, try to make fans behave a certain way. That's just dumb. Yeah, if you don't just if you don't agree with someone's take, you know what you could do? You could just keep scrolling. You know, yeah, or block unfollow. Literally, (laughs) there's three options. You have so many choices. Yeah, All Twitter, right, Ryan. Twitter's great. Um, I got two things. One, Zach Campbell sucks. If you ever oh, seen- thank you. <laughs> I, uh, I can't believe we didn't talk about this yet. Completely forgot about that. He's an he's an absolute loser. If you see him at a baseball game, just boom. The man yeah. pumped his little kids that way for baseball. It's like you're you're a grown up. The video of him falling over the falling over the seats yeah. is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Guy's a loser. I cannot stand him. Zach Campbell, if you're listening to this, please get a job. Um, and my second thing, the Nats post on social media a thank you to the fans. It's really funny because the Nats have not sold out a game yet this year, even when they sorry, they sold out opening day, but that's the only game they sold out this year. And like the weather has really sucked lately. It's been cold. But it's really funny and kind of embarrassing after all yeah, the complaining. They were like, let us have more fans. Yeah, I yeah. was told they could fit more fans here and here and here and here and here. So why are there not more fans there? Yeah, well, it's too damn cold for me. I'm, it's, I'm waiting yeah, to like, get I, it warms up a little bit. I, I get it. Like, April games aren't really fun to go to because they're cold. And it's, you know, it's April, schools, whatever. But, like, man, after all the complaining, it's really embarrassing to only average 8,000 people a game. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely a funny thing. Uh, but I, I'm sure as the weather improves, they'll get more people into the stadium. But, yeah, it is funny. I, I find day games tolerable if you go to early season games, but night games are awful. Like, who wants to sit outside? And even on a nice night in April, it's probably it the 40s or 50s. And that's cold after you've been sitting for hours. And tonight, I think it's going to be 33. I was I was going to say, it's cold and windy as hell tonight. <laughs> yeah, not a very nice game. I was watching a little bit of the Yankees and Braves game, and it looked like the they showed one scene of the um, or one shot of the umpire who was just standing there and his pants are just flapping like a flag. And I was like, wow, that looks really unpleasant. I would not want to be standing outside in that game. It was snowing in the Rockies game today, which I guess isn't like unheard of but it's like we've had multiple snow games this year yeah yeah we're having a pretty cold spring i'm very ready for the weather to get all the way warmed up but mostly because i want to plant my tomatoes outside right now i have to bring them in and out every night it's super annoying anyway tangent you guys got anything else before we get out of here Mm, no no all right 
Well, thank you all for listening. We appreciate you as always. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at Half Street High Heat, at the website at HalfStreetHighHeat.com, and on YouTube at The Rundown with Half Street High Heat. And uh, we will catch up with you guys in a couple days. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're going to win today. Let's go, Nats. We're going to score for score. We're going to win for sure. So call your local congressman. We need another monument. The Nats are rolling on the win. We're holding D.C. Let's go, Nats. By the early light of dawn, well, you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go, Nats We've got a game to play, we're gonna win today Let's go to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry-free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.